Hello, I'm Nathan and welcome to this week's edition of the Black Country Talking News for the 9th of August 2023. Hello and welcome to the Black Country Talking News, brought to you by the sight loss charity Beacons. We're pleased to confirm that the Talking News is now available via Alexa. Once you've enabled the Talking Newspapers skill, all you need to do is play Talking Newspapers and ask for the Black Country Talking News. Our Talking News service is also available via the free Wireless for the Blind app. It can be found on the Beacon Centre website www.beaconvision.com org forward slash talking dash news as a podcast via services such as Apple or Spotify or as a free CD. Simply contact Beacon Centre on 01902-880-111. We hope you enjoy this week's edition. Reading for you this week, we have myself, Nathan, Angela, Christine, Helen, Liz, Mina, Rob, Pete, Simon, and of course, never forgetting, Flashback Roger. In this week's edition, with iconic landmark The Crooked House being reduced to a pile of rubble, we have the latest local news for the black country. We have another bulletin of practical sight loss tips from Pete, the quiz with Mina, an update from Beacon, as well as an update from Rob at Dudley Council, with turmoil off the field and Wolves parting ways with their head coach, we try to focus on the latest news on the pitch from West Bromwich Albion and Wolves. A did you know section from Flashback Roger. We also have the weather for the week ahead. And we have something new for you this week. A blockbuster book review full of suspense. That will have you on edge. Local news to start though with Liz, but first, Angela. From the disappointment of its sale last week to total devastation, this as police have opened an investigation into a fire that gutted the iconic black country pub, The Crooked House, over the weekend. Staffordshire Police is appealing for information on the fire at The Crooked House in Himley. Fire crews from the Staffordshire Fire and Rescue Service and West Midlands Fire Service battled into the early hours of the morning to contain the fire the cause of which has not been established. A statement from Staffordshire Police said, We are appealing for information after a fire at a derelict building in Himley late Saturday evening. Officers were called to a report of a fire at what used to be the Crooked House pub on Himley Road at 10.45pm Saturday night. Crews from Staffordshire Fire and Rescue Service were already in attendance and had extinguished the blaze. No one was believed to be inside the building and no one has been reported injured. We are now working with fire investigators to establish the cause of the fire. Fire investigators are inspecting the scene and officers are making local inquiries to secure any information that might help the investigation. 
anyone who may have any information that could help with the investigation or ask to get in touch. You can contact us through live chat on our website, staffordshire.police.uk, or call 101, quoting incident number 761 of 5 August 5. Alternatively, to guarantee anonymity, contact Crime Stoppers at crimestoppers-uk.org. Many have taken to social media to express their sheer disbelief to events over the weekend. Here's Liz with some reaction from across the region. Stuart Hall, who set up a Facebook group in an attempt to try and save the crooked house after reports that the building had been sold and wasn't likely to return as a pub, said he was devastated. Stuart, who has now renamed the group Save the Crooked House, brackets, let's get it rebuilt, brackets, said, I'm not sure where we go from here because the fire has obviously devastated the pub and whether the building actually can be saved is debatable. There is certainly the appetite to do that. We have had so many people pledge their support and join the group since the news of the fire and before that, messages of support from all over the world. It remains to be seen what the next move is from Marston's. Stuart is based in Telford, but grew up in the Dudley area and said it was a shame the pub wasn't used more before it closed. With the Crooked House, there just seems so much history there, a definite uniqueness and the potential to get people coming from far and wide to visit. It has been mentioned on national television and the messages of support on the group from all around the world show it has a place in people's hearts. West Midlands Mayor Andy Street said, There are lots of questions surrounding the Crooked House fire that need answering, and I'm sure the authorities will get to the truth. Today, all we can say is what a tragedy, and I sincerely hope this iconic black country landmark can be restored and preserved. John Corsa, chairman of the Dudley and South Staffordshire branch of the Campaign for Real Ale, said, The branch is shocked at this news. The Crooked House is one of the most important pubs in our branch area. It was sad to see it close recently and the branch was set to campaign to keep it as a pub. We can only hope that the damage does not mean the complete loss of such a beautiful old pub that has been enjoyed by generations of local people. Wolverhampton North East MP Jane Stevenson said, Many of us in the black country are fiercely proud of our heritage and I hope the Crooked House will be rebuilt as was. Up next, we hear from Helen, who, as usual, has our latest Beacon update. Hi, everyone. It's Helen from Beacon. I hope you're keeping well. While we may be knee-deep in holiday season, as usual, we've got plenty going on at Beacon, so I will crack on with our latest update. Now, first up, who fancies a challenge this summer? We've launched our Beacon Blindfold Challenge this week. If you want to join in the fun, here's what you need to do. One, get a group of family and friends together and sit one behind the other with a bowl and a blindfold each. 
Then, two, you need to fill the first person's bowl with water and get everyone to put their blindfolds on. You see where this is going. And then three, you need to try and transfer as much of the water as possible to the person at the back of the line by passing the water over your head. Yeah, you've guessed it, you're getting pretty wet. So once you've completed it, you just need to nominate two other people who you think would be up for it and text BLINDFOLD to 70450 to donate £6 to Beacon. That's BLINDFOLD to 70450. Texts cost £6 plus one standard rate message. You can also donate directly by calling us on 01902880111. And if you fancy having a go and you're on social media, don't forget to tag us with hashtag Beacon Blindfold Challenge. And if you don't fancy getting drenched, well, let's face it, it's not for everyone. We've got another way you can show your support for Beacon that really is a piece of cake. Yep. We're asking you to eat some cake to help ensure no one has to face sight loss alone. And what better time to do it than during Afternoon Tea Week, which runs between August the 7th and 13th. Find out how to hold your own Afternoon Tea fundraiser and download your free Afternoon Tea pack from our website. It's www.beaconvision.org forward slash afternoon hyphen tea hyphen five. That's www.beaconvision.org forward slash afternoon hyphen t hyphen five. You can also call us on 01902 for more information. Right, I am off to get myself a bit of cake. Speak to you all soon. Bye-bye. Thanks a lot for that update, Helen. Up next, we have another block of local news. And starting this one off for us, let's hear from Liz. Dedicated mental health care ambulances are to be rolled out across the West Midlands. The vehicles will be staffed by paramedics specially trained to care for people experiencing mental health crises. Speaking at the annual meeting of the West Midlands Ambulance Service this week, its chief executive, Professor Anthony Marsh, said there had been a lot of discussion about how the emergency services should respond to mental health incidents. This week it was announced that police officers in England will no longer respond to concerns about mental health if there is no risk to life or crime being committed under new plans. The government says the policy could save a million hours of police time every year, but charities have said they are concerned there would be no one to step in in a crisis. Professor Marsh said, It is quite right that patients who need mental health care are looked after by mental health professionals. We will be rolling out special mental health ambulances staffed by specially trained paramedics to care for those people. In his annual report, Professor Marsh praised all the different strands of the West Midlands Ambulance Service. He said that when people thought of the ambulance service, they thought of emergency ambulances dealing with 999 calls. But he said the service did much more. For instance, he said it had hundreds of volunteers working as community first responders 
They are the unsung heroes of the ambulance service across the country. They work often in difficult circumstances, often in very rural communities. They undertake regular training to maintain their competence and confidence. An open day around money, health and safety matters has been set up at a Wolverhampton community hub. Help at the Hub has been organised by Wolverhampton Council and will see a wide variety of city organisations offer free advice and information to residents. The event will take place in the Bob Jones Community Hub in Bromley Street on Thursday, August 10th between 10am and 2pm. The event has been organised by officers at the Council's Public Protection Scams Team who will be handing out free scam awareness and prevention packs. In addition, officers from the Council's Customer Services team will be on hand to help residents with their queries about a number of services, including Council tax, benefits, blue badges and digital services support. The Customer Services team will then be at the centre on the second Thursday of every month to help residents with their queries under a new scheme to offer advice on Council services in local communities. Acting Leader of the Council, Councillor Steve Simpkins, said Times are hard for everyone right now and as a council we are doing all we can to support our citizens with a wide range of help on everything from food and energy to everyday household essentials. People need to ensure they are getting all they are entitled to. So our advisors are on hand to discuss what's available to make your money go further as the cost of living continues to bite. In particular, we know how expensive the summer school holidays can be for parents. So there's a great summer of events through our Yo Wolves programme with children having fun, keeping active and eating for free at many venues. Councillor Craig Collingswood, Cabinet Member for Environment and Climate Change at City of Wolverhampton Council, said Blakenhall will host the eighth in our popular series of Help at the Hub Days that we organise to offer support for residents. People might be experiencing a number of difficulties during this challenging time. There are increased financial pressures which can also impact other aspects of people's lives. We want to make sure we reach as many people as possible in local communities to offer them advice and assistance on anything ranging from money and education to health and scam awareness. Please join us on August 10th for a chat about your worries. People do not have to book an appointment, but are asked to please be prepared to wait if the event is busy. Residents are invited to complete a survey about how they and Dudley Council can work together to improve online access to council services. Whether you need to report it, request it or pay it, soon you'll be able to do all of this online. Earlier this year, Dudley Council held some community engagement sessions where the residents expressed their desire for easy, streamlined and joined up online reporting, as well as retaining help in person and over the phone. Residents also selected the name for this new digital service to be called My Dudley. Dudley Council now want to understand which council services residents would like to access digitally. They also want to learn more about the reasons why some people don't use online council services. 
The results of the survey will be used to inform and shape the My Dudley offer, which will include a new online platform alongside existing face-to-face support and telephone service. To take part in the survey, simply visit www.dudley.gov.uk forward slash mydudley or you can telephone 0300-555-2345. Thank you. Now it's time to test your knowledge as we have the quiz questions for this edition brought to us by Mina. Hello and welcome to this week's Flashback Quiz. All the answers you need can be found later in Flashback Rogers' Did You Know feature. But for now, these are your questions. Here we go. Question one. How many does it take to make a baker's dozen? Question two. How many sandwiches are eaten every second in the UK? Question three. What name was given to bread when it was first used as a plate? Question four. Where was sliced bread banned in 1943? Question five. How much bread do we waste in the UK? And finally, question six. How many types of bread do we make in the UK? I will be back with you later in the show. But for now, best of luck. Cheers for those questions, Mina. Mm, I'll get my mind working on them. Up now, however, is another block of local news. Families can immerse themselves in beautiful, blossoming flowers with a new field experience. The Shropshire Petal Fields near Newport will be open until Sunday, August 13th. Petal confetti business Shropshire Petals has teamed up with Shropshire Festivals to give visitors exclusive access to a field usually reserved for petal confetti production. And the business has turned it into a beautiful visitor attraction featuring delphiniums, sunflowers, cornflowers, wildflowers and a woodland walk. Beth Heath from Shropshire Festivals said, We're really excited to welcome visitors to our new Shropshire flower field. 
As well as being immersed in the gorgeous blooms, families can follow the wildflower pathway, spot the gnomes and enjoy a wild woodland walk. We also have an on-site cafe selling refreshments, freshly cut flowers for sale and lots of photo opportunities. There will be parking, seating and toilets on site and you are welcome to bring a picnic and make the most of the view. The organisers have confirmed that Sunday, August 13th will be a dog-friendly day as dogs are not permitted on the rest of the dates. Ashley Evers-Swindell, marketing manager at Shropshire Petals, said, The field has been planted and weeded by a robot, so since cultivation, no one has stepped foot on it. The result is a perfect field of flowers with different layers of colour providing a breathtaking landscape. Come and see it for yourself. We'll also have our trusty robot displaying its skills on site. Tickets must be purchased in advance from shropshireflowerfield.co.uk. One of the most wholesome shows on TV is requiring the help of the British public this year to appear on a special episode. BBC's The Repair Shop, which includes furniture restorer Jay Blades and his team, is on the lookout for people who have yesteryear items with a festive feel that need a little tender loving care. The programme is wanting people to feature in the Christmas edition so the professional fixers can perform some festive magic on objects of historical or social interest in need of repair. This will be the fourth Christmas special of The Repair Shop, which first aired on BBC Two in 2017. Presenter Jay, who lives in Ironbridge and has a workshop in Wolverhampton, said that with a wide-ranging team of experts, they hope to provide the solution for any fix. The 53-year-old added, We are looking for items that make us remember Christmases of yesteryear. It can be absolutely anything. The items don't have to be antique, but it must mean something to you and have a sentimental value, which a repair would make a difference. The team here are incredible, and we have experts in pretty much every craft, so hopefully we have the solution for any fix. It's already been a busy year for the repair shop, as so far this year has seen two special episodes, marking the 75th anniversary of both the arrival of the Empire Windrush to the UK and the birth of the NHS. Ceramics expert Kirsten Ramsey said the Christmas specials were some of her favourite episodes. There's always a magic about the barn, but there's something about Christmas that makes the repair shop even more magical, she said. We'd love to try and add that little bit of magic to your Christmas, so do get in touch with your suggestions. Dominic Chinia, metalwork specialist, said, This year has been full of specials, and we'd love to finish off this year with another very special episode. In previous Christmases, we've fixed a whole host of items, from instruments to a wartime teddy bear to a chopper bike. I can't wait to see what comes through the door this year.
a TV paranormal investigator from Starbridge is hosting a virtual tour of Shropshire's most haunted town. Jane Harris, a psychologist, author and presenter on Help My House is Haunted on Discovery Plus, is holding a virtual ghost walk of Bridge North later this month. Miss Harris says she began her virtual tours during COVID, but they proved so popular she has continued doing them and is once again turning her attention to the Shropshire market town, which she says is the most haunted in the county. She said, I did Bridge North a few years ago when I started the virtual tours in lockdown, so I thought it deserved to be done again. Bridge North is definitely Shropshire's most haunted town. It has such a rich history. The division of class between High Town and Low Town with its taverns and brothels really impacted the overall feel and energy of different areas. The ghost hunter said there were a number of quite famous spirits roaming the market town. I start my tour at the Seven Valley Railway, where I talk about the Bewdley to Bridge North Tunnel. There's a ghost train that people quite often hear that never emerges from the tunnel. There was also a story from some children who were playing with fireworks in the 1960s when they saw a man in a boiler suit in the tunnel. But when they ran away and turned around, he was gone. She said other locations in the town are equally spooky and include the haunted graveyard of St Mary's Church in East Castle Street, where a lady in a long cloak is often seen. And down by the riverside, a monk from the old priory in the town is often seen gliding around the river. She added that she had also recorded an episode of Help My House is Haunted at the Bassa Villa, which she said is one of the most haunted pubs in Shropshire. Jane's ghost tour follows a visit from the Rhodes family, descendants of a doctor from the town who is said to haunt Northgate House, who are holding a family reunion in the town at the weekend. Jane Harris's Haunted Bridge North live virtual ghost walk takes place on August 16th at 6pm on Facebook. People can sign up at facebook.com forward slash events forward slash 1028031941665146. Time now for our latest edition of Sight Loss Tips. For further details on any of the items and practical information in this bulletin, you can also contact Beacon's team of Sight Loss Advisors on 01902 880 111. Are you struggling with the weather, with the discomfort of bright light or glare, perhaps finding it a little more difficult to read, make a call, tell the time or do those daily tasks? Well, Beacon may be able to help. With our team of sight loss advisors, you could make an appointment to try out some low vision equipment, such as a video magnifier, some fit-over filter glasses, or a fully vocalised and voice-controlled mobile phone. It might be something that just makes life a little bit easier. 
even if you are not experiencing sight loss yourself, perhaps you are a carer and or have a family member or friend that is struggling. So please call Beacon on 01902 880 111 and ask to speak with our team of sight loss advisors. That number again, 01902 880 111. Up next, let's have another block of local news. A former cinema opened by entertainer George Formby in the 1930s has gone on sale in the Black Country. The former Danilo Cinema at Dudley Road, Briley Hill was built in the Art Deco style of the time. According to Black Country author Ned Williams's book Black Country Cinemas, it was opened in December 1936, just four days before Christmas. The Earl of Dudley was due to do the honours but was delayed so Formby sang a song to fill time and the Earl arrived just in time to see his son Viscount Ednam stepping in for him. It remained as a cinema until 1969 and then became a bingo hall. From around 2000 it became a nightclub operating as Eclipse, Oxygen and The Deep and later became the Pulse nightclub in 2011. Sadly, the end looms for another iconic black country building from the 1930s that George Formby and many, many more household names performed in too. The demolition of Dudley Hippodrome paving the way for a £25 million higher education nursing facility has swung into action. It marks the final curtain for a long-running campaign to save the building. The project is being spearheaded by Dudley Council, one of the members of the Dudley Towns Fund Board, who was successful in bidding for £25 million from the government's £178.7 million Towns Fund. The board's members include Dudley Council, Dudley College of Technology, University of Worcester, tourist attractions and other key organisations in Dudley. In a statement, Dudley Council announced that all planning requirements have now been met in full and work was now underway to strip the inside of the building which is expected to be completed this week. The building, which went up in 1938, was used as a theatre until 1964, when it became a bingo hall. Major acts such as Gracie Fields, George Formby and Laurel and Hardy were among the performers to entertain the crowds. Also, it hosted Bing Crosby. The disused Castle Hill Theatre has not hosted live entertainment since 1974, but remained as a bingo hall until 2009. Secure fencing will be in place around the site, with the theatre being demolished from the centre outwards, using pickers and cranes. The rear of the building and finally the facade will then be removed. At this point, large-scale protective shields 
the height of the building will prevent any fallout onto the front of the site. The demolition is expected to take around four months. Once demolition work is complete, then the build of a new £25 million university campus will begin in early 2024. Worcester University will run a nursing college from the site and will provide university-level courses for the health sector, with a view to opening in September 2025. Councillor Patrick Harley, leader of Dudley Council, said, It's taken a lot of work behind the scenes over many years to bring this project to fruition, and I'm so glad to see the major work finally beginning. This is an exciting day for Dudley as we leave behind the past and begin the journey of creating a brand new state-of-the-art university facility which will benefit the people of our borough and beyond for many years to come. Up next, it's trivia time, brought to us by Flashback Roger and his Did You Know feature. It's all yours, Roger. Take it away. again everyone. I'm here again with this week's episode of Curios, although the subject this week is all about bread, and you can't get more basic everyday item as that, can you? I love the smell of baking bread or of toast. Anyway, off we go then with this one. Now I'm sure that most of us know that a baker's dozen is a phrase that means 13 items, but did you know that the practice comes from medieval times when bread was sold in small loaves? most often in standard dozens of 12 pieces. Some loaves were lighter than others because bakers tried to rob on weight or because of different weights of ingredients. Not all dozens were equal. Strict laws were made that required bread to be sold by weight. Then by adding an additional loaf to the dozen, customers were getting weight by the law. In each year in the UK, around 12 billion sandwiches are eaten. That means 380 every second. And believe it or not, the automatic pop-up bread toaster was patented before the bread slicing machine. In medieval times, bread was used as an absorbent plate. It was called a trencher. And after the meal, trencher would then be eaten, given to the poor or fed to the dogs. There is a theory that pizza comes from a trencher. Within five years of the invention of the machine for making sliced bread, 80% of bread sold in the USA was sliced. Although pre-slicing was banned in the United States for a short time in 1943 as a wartime conservation effort. Bread is the food that we waste the most. In this country, we throw away 32% of it, which means one in three slices go straight in the bin. This happens even though we're pretty good at checking to see whether we need any more. It's a weird one though, isn't it? I wonder what's going on. In this country, we make more than 200 types of bread from traditional British recipes to exotic types from abroad. 50% of bread consumption is accounted for by the not-so-humble sandwich. Oh, we do love Asani in Britain, thus paying homage to the Earl of Sandwich, who is said to have invented it in 1762. 
in your road up. Hopefully this week's did you know spot didn't go too much against the grain and that it didn't find you loafing about. But crumbs, I hope that at least you found it interesting and not too crusty. Next week I promise to try butter for the next time. But for now I'll just say bye for now. I'm off to have some toast for my cuppa. Ta-ra a bit. Ta-ra. Up now we have to hear what the weather has in store for us. Brought to us, come rain or shine, by our own Sunny Mina. The weather for this week ahead is forecast to be rather unsettled, with some outbreaks of showers. But wait for it, plenty of dry and sunny spells too. Temperatures are also forecast to improve, with highs of around 21 degrees. With continued mix of sunshine and showers expected, UV levels are set to remain at medium. The sunrise and sunset times are 5.50am for the sunrise and 8.30pm for the sunset. Friday 11th of August is set to start off wet with plenty of rain but these are not expected to stick around for long as these showers should clear by midday with gentle breeze and some sunny spells breaking through for the afternoon, temperatures should start to feel a little milder at around 21 degrees. And finally, after successive weekend washouts, it looks as though it is set to stay dry in the region, with both Saturday and Sunday offering plenty of summer sun. With a gentle breeze, temperatures over the weekend will continue to hover around 21 degrees. On to next week, and will summer be sticking around with us? Of course not. Monday 14th of August looks like it should also be relatively dry and sunny for most of the day, but the showers will begin to return as we head into the late afternoon and evening. It is forecast for the unsettled weather to dominate for the rest of the week, with plenty of sharp showers in the region on Tuesday 15th of August and Wednesday 16th of August. With a gentle breeze, we will see temperatures at highest of around 19 degrees. The showers are forecast to be light but persistent, so it looks like our bollies will be needed. But there is hope if only for one day, as Thursday looks like it will be bringing summer back for us. The forecast for Thursday 17th of August is looking hopeful. A gentle breeze and some sunny spells will allow temperatures to feel pleasant at 21 degrees. So that's your usual mixed bag of rain and sun for the week. As always, enjoy the weather. Cheers for that weather update, Mina. Now it's time to find out how our local football teams have been getting on. New pristine kits? Check. New summer signings? Check. New season? Check. Same old, same old away day woes. Check. 
I'll be in open their championship campaign with a familiar 2-1 defeat away at Blackburn after a horror first half 60 seconds proved costly. Head coach Carlos Corberan's team news provided a huge surprise as Nathaniel Chalabar, the figure of speculation this summer that had linked him with the move to Israel, started in midfield. Cedric Kipre and Semi Ajayi made up the visitors' centre-half pairing with winger Jed Wallace confirmed as the new club captain ahead of kick-off. Jeremy Sarmiento had a place on the bench but fellow new recruit Joss Majar is not yet ready to feature. The contest started slowly, but Albion began to get to grips with it and with a better side in the opening exchanges. But in the blink of an eye, the rug was pulled from beneath with a double sucker punch on the 20-minute mark, far too easily on both occasions. Albion were rocked and it remained 2-0 at half-time. But shortly after the restart, there was hope when Matt Phillips won possession on the left gave a superb 1-2 with Wallace 25 yards out and curled a fine strike into the right corner to halve the deficit and make it 2-1. Albion and their fans believed. But Albion didn't do enough to break down an organised Blackburn side and frustration soon boiled over as head coach Carlos Corberan, seemingly irritated by the officials, was shown a straight red card by referee Dean Whitestone with 15 minutes left. Any head of steam rather fizzled out and the hosts went closest to wrapping up points on an opening day to forget. Over at Molyneux and Wolves signed off pre-season with an entertaining 3-1 win at home to top-tier French team Rennes. Ryan Naitonuri fired Julian Lopetegui's men into the lead with a fine hooked volley before the visitors levelled from the penalty spot. Jao Gomez restored Wolves' advantage four minutes into the second half with Huang Hee Chan completing the scoring. Mateus Nunes set up both second-half goals for the home side and while the narrative around Molyneux continues to centre on the signings Wolves haven't made, this performance was a reminder of the talents they do possess in their ranks. In addition to Nunes, Gomez also caught the eye after coming off the bench and came close to netting a second with a shot from distance which crashed against the bar. Rennes had already beaten West Ham and Nottingham Forest in pre-season, the latter by a 5-0 scoreline. But they were fortunate to leave Molyneux having not conceded more, with poor finishing and the goalkeeping of veteran Steve Mandanda denying Wolves a more emphatic margin of victory. Wolves now enter a week of intense preparation before they begin their Premier League campaign away at Manchester United on Monday night. Now, here come the quiz answers, and they're brought to us by Mina. Hello, and here are your answers for this week's flashback quiz. Feeling confident? How will you score? Let's see. Question one. How many does it take to make a baker's dozen? And the answer, 13. Question two. 
How many sandwiches are eaten every second in the UK? And the answer here is around 380. Question 3. What name was given to bread when it was used as a plate? And the answer here is a trencher. Question 4. Where was sliced bread banned in 1943? And the answer here is the USA. Question 5. How much bread do we waste in the UK? And the answer here is 32%. And finally, how many types of bread do we make in the UK? And the answer here is 200. Did you get them all right? If not, not to worry, as I will be back next week to test you all once again. Bye for now. Now, have you got your wits about you? With special thanks to Soundings contributor Camilla and Calibra Audio for providing audio extracts from the book. We are able to bring to you a riveting book review. Jane Harper's mystery crime thriller, The Dry. TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. Camilla Chester is in the studio to talk about another book. And you introduced me to Jane Harper, an Australian, mm. of whom I had never heard. But that's not that surprising because this is her first novel. And it's called The Dry. It's, in context, is Australia. What's the background? Uh, they've had a drought that's been going on and on and on and on. And it's really affected the rural community to the point where the lack of water is desperate. There's no crops growing. It's described very well that the poverty that people are subjected to and they're becoming quite quite desperate. Normally you've got this lovely river that's running through. It's normally quite lush, um, productive land. I mean, it's a hard way of life anyway. And you have that feeling of that sort of harsh Australian outback, tough kind of characters that are coming through that are used to surviving in difficult situations. But this really is very desperate. Um, The drought is extreme so that the river's completely dried up. You've got nothing growing at all. People are very, very depressed. And the heat, I mean, living in that dry heat continuously, it's just, it's, it's described very well about how it just is completely exhausting and wearing for people and they're trying to continue with their lives and it's just impossible, nothing that they do can make it rain. And it's just on and on and on relentless heat. And our main character, and he's gone away from here, he's left here for reasons that we discover through the narrative, but he's come back because there's been a murder. People he's involved in knows. He's received a mysterious sort of letter that's brought him back to where he grew up as a a boy and he moved away from as a teenager. And because his old best friend, Luke, has died and it seems to be a closed case that Luke has actually, in in a moment of desperation, because of the financial situation that he's in has shot his wife and child and then himself Uh, so you've got this sort of triple funeral which is horrendous that Aaron comes back to and that's where the book starts God, that middle coffin was small Lying between the two full-size ones only made it look worse if that were possible 
tiny kids with combed hair plastered to their skulls pointed it out. Dad, look, that box is in football colours. Those old enough to know what was inside stared in appalled silence, fidgeting in their school uniforms as they edged a little closer to their mothers. Above the three coffins, a family of four stared down from a blown-up photograph. Their static smiles were over-large and pixelated. Fork recognised the picture from the news. It had been used a lot. Beneath, the names of the dead were spelled out in native flowers. Luke, Karen, Billy. There are other characters that are on the, 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 the policeman from another town, as it were, another city, uh, has come back to this community. He's not intended to stay very long, but he actually stays longer than the mm. because he gets involved in it. And he starts to work with the local policeman who's trying to investigate. There were four of them, four youngsters, and there was mm. Aaron and Luke, Gretchen and Ellie. That's right, yeah. And insofar four. as you compare them up permanently, it's, it's Aaron and Ellie and yeah. Luke and Gretchen. Yeah. Now, Gretchen is at the funeral. They encounter each other again after this absence of some time. Mm, she's one of the few friendly faces that Aaron encounters that's actually pleased to see him. There's a lot of hostility towards Aaron, and you've got a parallel story running at the same time. So you're never quite sure until quite far on to the book of why Aaron left but it's obviously under poor circumstances and he's been almost pushed out and you don't really know why but Gretchen's one of the few that's very pleased to see Aaron back and is very positive towards him and there's a friendship strong friendship there still and she's a great character actually really likeable and so you you see quite a bit of Gretchen and you also see flashbacks to their life of the four of them as teenagers and Luke's a very interesting character the one who's died so there's all this ambiguity around Luke. Is he a really good guy that was Aaron's best mate and it was all very fun? Or is he capable of doing such a horrific thing? You're not sure, which makes that very interesting in page turning. Because Luke's parents are still alive. Yes. And they have certain elements of guilt themselves because they feel that they might have helped to cause the problems mm-hmm. because they passed the farm on to him, as it were, their farm. Mm. And in his childhood, Aaron seems to spend a lot of time with this family and he goes to visit them. Again, the context of the, the drought and the, everything seems to be falling apart because he mm. would do. Mm. I mean, you can't sustain a, a community in those sorts of conditions. Mm. Got a nice place here, Bob, Fork said politely. She had always been scrupulously house-proud, but looking around now he could see the odd sign of clutter. Dirty mugs crowded a side table, the recycling bin was overflowing, and stacks of letters stood unopened. It all told a tale of grief and distraction. Thank you. We wanted something small and manageable after... She hesitated for a beat, swallowed. After we sold the farm to Luke... And of course, Barb and Jerry, who are Luke's parents, they have the surviving grandchild as well. So this is a a strange part of the puzzle piece because you're thinking, well, Luke killed his wife, Karen, and his son, Billy. Why did he leave the baby alive? And the baby is being cared for by Barb and Jerry, and they're clinging to this child, obviously, as the only surviving relative. And they're also clinging to the idea that Luke's innocent. And that's one of the reasons that Aaron gets so caught up into the whole mystery of it is trying to unpick what actually has happened here. Is it such a close-cut case? And the same time, Reiko, the policeman, is a really good guy and he allows Aaron, because he's in authority in the police, although be it not in this sort of field, 
to come into the investigation because there's some pieces of the puzzle that don't quite fit for Reiko as well. The local view is quite simple. Luke killed his wife and child. And then there's these questions. Mm. Was that really what happened? You know, mm. the fact that the baby survived is the first, well, it's one of the early clues. And Reiko goes on searching and digging. He doesn't give up. The police come in from the nearby town. Mm. They wrap it all up and say, clearly suicide mm. uh, following murder. And the man was depressed. The man was in trouble. That all, that's it. We mm. go home now. Mm. And he, there's a local policeman who said, something more here. And he keeps digging and digging mm. and digging, literally physically. I mean, he goes under buildings trying to find this <laughs> yes. because he thinks there's something that he can find. Yes. He's not convinced uh, uh, at all. Where haven't you searched yet? Reiko nodded at the missing weatherboard. On this property, I think this officially makes everywhere. Fork frowned. It's a bit weird. Yeah, that's what I thought too. Fork said nothing, just stared at him. Rako was sweating hard. His face, arms and clothes were covered in grime and dust from scrabbling around in the baking heat of the sheds. What else? Fork said. There was a silence. What do you mean? All this effort, down on your hands and knees all morning in a dead man's barn in this heat, Fork said. There's something more, or at least you think there's more. There was a long pause. Then Rako breathed out. Yeah, he said. There's more. And he's another likeable character. We warm to him as the reader um, and we're sort of rooting for him. We're thinking, well, there's got to be a story here. You know, there's got to be more to it. And of course, the way that they team up together... Aaron and Reiko is is really good read, and you're, you're engaged with them, and you're you're rooting for them to try and find out what's been what's been happening. And at the same time, this lovely idea of something happening in the past, which is very intriguing, very interesting, holding your attention. I mean, it's a very gripping book. You just want to read and read and read and read because it's so interesting, engaging, and exciting. Most thrillers or police things are are sort of gripping and they, they drag you forward because you want to know what finishes and what happens in the end. Why I liked this one, why I enjoyed this one, was that it wasn't just that. No. It was about people that I actually got to care about. Yes. And for me, reading a book, listening to a book, I have to care about the people, otherwise there's no point. Yeah. And he's, as you say, Aaron, the, 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 the protagonist or the main character is, is himself quite ambiguous because we don't really know until well, it, it comes apparent there was a problem which caused him to go away. He encounters people from his past that he'd rather not have met again. One is the father of his erstwhile girlfriend, Ellie. Yes. And, and his own nephew. And they seem to be quite unpleasant characters. Mal Deacon had a curve to his spine now, but was still a tall man with ropey arms leading to large hands. His fingers were knotted and swollen with age and were almost white as he gripped the back of a chair for support. His forehead furrowed deep into a scowl and his exposed scalp was angry pink between strands of grey hair. Falk braced himself for an outburst, but instead a look of confusion flashed across Deacon's face. He shook his head slightly, the loose chicken flesh on his neck rubbing against a dirty collar. Why are you back? And you're thinking, why are they being so unpleasant towards Aaron? I mean, Mal Deacon is particularly aggressive and hostile towards him and at some point mistakes him really for his own father. And so that's very intriguing 
And you're thinking, why is Aaron being so... Yes. Did Aaron go away because he did something or something happened yeah. that involved him? Or did he go away because something happened to his father? His yeah. father was involved. So the author plays this game. Yes. I'm not quite sure what went on, but you want to find out, so you stay with it. But at the same time, it's beautifully written. You've got these wonderful descriptions. I mean, as a standalone, it could it could work as a literary novel. It's that well written. But this exciting story is really pulling you along. So it ticks all the boxes. It's a, it's a very enjoyable read. And as you say, there are flashbacks to when the youngsters were, uh, they used to go out and sit near the river. I can't remember whether they smoked cigarettes or drank or whatever it was, but yeah. the normal things that teenagers do. Is That's it, a right? vodka, I Not think. Vodka. That's right. <laughs> uh, and yet there's conflicts within that group. Yes. Um, um, you're never quite sure what Luke is up to. As you say, he's a, a very ambivalent mm. sort of character because mm. he's both Aaron's best friend and yet is he also doing him down? You know, there's, who's he, what's he going to play off next? Mm. And there seems to be a fight over Ellie. You know, that Ellie is supposedly more Aaron's girlfriend, but Luke's obviously interested even though he's with Gretchen and you've got this power dynamic between the four of them and you're thinking is Luke the most powerful or how, how is it working Ellie seems to be the one that dictates a lot of the things that happen They'd spent much of the afternoon leaning against the rock tree in the shade Ellie had seemed more distant than normal. Twice that afternoon he'd asked her something and she hadn't appeared to even hear him. Eventually terrified of boring her, he'd suggested tracking down Luke or Gretchen To his relief she shook her head I don't think I could face the chaos right now, she'd said. It's all right with just us, isn't it? Yeah, of course. Of course it was. That dynamic between the teenagers is very important to that story of the past, so it's it's interesting to pay attention to it. There are other characters throughout. There's the man who owns the bar, a Scotsman, McMurdo. He drifts in as a backpacker, and actually the, in the audio version, the guy that does the narration is brilliant at accents and has his just exactly right because it's this sort of lilt of Scott uh, embedded in the Australian accent because he's been there so long. But yeah, he drifts as in a backpacker and stays. And why you'd stay in such a hostile place, I don't know, but he does. And he's, he's again, he's quite friendly towards Aaron. Aaron's staying in the pub, so he's his regular income. And he is quite a stable, solid figure. So um, McMurdo really enjoys having him there and confides in him quite a bit. So he's quite an important character. There's quite a lot of characters in the book, as you'd expect with a crime novel, because it's a bit you, of a whodunit. You've got to trail, yeah. you've got to get people to think, is it that one? That yeah, did, or is yeah. It that one that did <laughs> and the, I mean, the Scotsman, of course, you know, running a bar in an outback yeah. where it's pretty desperate times. You've got to be fairly strong. And yeah. he, he has lots of potential fights going on all the time. Because you've got Maldi. Deacon, and of course, this yeah. awful nephew that yeah. Mal Deacon has, this yeah. Grant character who's yeah. really aggressive, yeah. and and there's this whole story about Luke and Grant having a hostile relationship and having this previous history of fighting yeah. a lot in the pub. There's lots of yeah. possible people and, that you and, can and point that, the that's finger right. to. You point the fingers at the old man Mal Deacon, the, mm. the, the father of of Ellie, mm. the girlfriend of our hero, as it were. And there's all sorts of suspicions thrown up there. Was there something odd in that relationship which mm. we didn't particularly like, or was it to do with Grant and the nephew, you know, what was going on inside mm. that family because they seem a very dysfunctional group just those yes, two yeah. um, and so these these things are thrown in there all the time and then there's the local school in the middle of all this where the kids go to school mm. and there's a headmaster who's actually relatively newly in with the community isn't mm. he? he's come in from somewhere else with his wife he has a son doesn't he that's very good friends with Billy the, the boy right. that was murdered so he, he's engaged in the community and actually there's this lovely bit in the book where Aaron goes to the school 
school with um, Reiko and they see the pictures that the children have done, which depicts how barren the, the farming community has become because all the pictures are brown and without any sort of green in them at all. It's a, a good, clever way, really, that the writer has used description of the actual community in the se- to describe the setting. Because yes, often in, in any war situation, they get kids to draw because of sort of therapy. Mm. It doesn't feel like therapy in this case, does it? <laughs> this feels like a depiction of the horrible situation that they're all in. You do, you do feel for the community there, definitely. It's become very desperate. Which then makes you think, well, Luke could do that because it's so, such a desperate place that you, you might be driven to that sort of extreme. And certainly that's what the police have thought mm. and just written it off to that sort of extreme behaviour that is a desperate man in a desperate situation. Yes. Anybody could have done it, any of the characters that are put forward. And that's, that's the great thing, the mm. great unravelling as, mm. as you work soon. You have to take your pick mm. and uh, think, well, am I going to be right at the end or mm. not? And that, I suppose, is the element of, of the whodunit, as it were. But it works uh, well. This woman is um, she's described as a Sunday Times top 10 bestseller. I never know what that means, but there's good reviews. She's gone on to write more. Yes, I think, I think this um, is the start of a series for Aaron Folks. So okay. he's going to be her main protagonist, I think. Um, it reminded me a little bit of Kate Atkinson's novels uh, with Jackson, Brody. But obviously with an Australian slant. So Kate Atkinson's very British and it's got a very British take, but similar sort of way that very talented writers that have turned to crime because it's, it's such a successful genre, isn't it? She's worked as a journalist before the, the writing this first novel and therefore she's got a journalistic approach to it. She's concise, she gets mm. the point. And yet it flows. Yes. And that's what I like. It yeah, works very both neat. ways. Yeah. Keeps you going forward, but it, it gives you something on the way. I suspect... I don't know, that it's relatively easy to write something that keeps going forward without too much skill about the characterisation. But if you get the characterisation there mm. and this interplay and the suspicion about all sorts of different people, then it works very well. Yeah, I thought it was very clever, but... Good, thank you. And much. a very nice, concise ending. Sometimes you're left feeling a little bit unsatisfied. Oh, I'm a children's writer. I like a good soft closure on an ending. And this is a great ending of the book. So read it for that alone. <laughs> thank you very much. Okay, with pleasure. The Dry by Jane Harper was narrated by Steve Shanahan. The audiobook lasts for approximately 10 hours. We're most grateful to Calibre Audio for providing a copy of the recording so that we can use some extracts to illustrate this discussion. TNF Soundings So that's it for another edition of the Black Country Talking News. A reminder to our CD listeners who have received CDs in padded envelopes that you don't need to send anything back to us. If you have a sight loss tip or someone you would like to wish a happy birthday to, just say hello to. Maybe even a poem or talking book you would like reviewed, then please get in touch with us at the Beacon Centre. Call 01902-880111. Email bctn at beaconvision.org or write to us at the Black Country Talking News, Beacon, Wolverhampton Road East, Wolverhampton, WV46AZ. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for listening, and thank you to all our supporters, donators and volunteers who without their support will be unable to run this free service. Please note the information and views expressed in this recording does not necessarily represent the views of Beacon or Talking News and were accurate at the time of recording. Mentions of goods and services does not imply endorsement and whilst every care is taken to supply accurate information, Beacon and Talking News do not undertake liability for any errors. So it's goodbye from all of us. Stay safe. 
have a good week and we look forward to bringing you next week's edition of the Black Country Talking News. Ta-ra!